So, in this week's parsha, Yosef Atzadik names his two children, Nash and Ephraim. If you take a look here in your source sheets, which are by Rosenblum, so conveniently printed for everybody. <laughs> by Menashe, who's the Bechor, the Pasuk says, Vayikra Yosef Hashem HaBechor Menashe, ki nashani Elohim eskola amali veeskola veesavi. The Yosef Atzadik named Menashe, very interestingly, he said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has caused me to forget all of my toil and my father's house. Ephraim, says, I became fruitful in the land of my affliction. So the Radak points out that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave Yosef HaTzadik so much covet, so much oisher, so much wealth in Mitzrayim, that Yaakov Avinu, that Yosef Atzadik forgot everything that had happened to him. It's like, uh, it's like Kaviachal sometimes when a, when a girl is dating for a long time. So nobody wants to be that girl. And there's so much pain, there's so much gaguim of like, what's going to be? And then she gets engaged and you're like, do you remember like that period where you were like, mamish totally broken? It's like, no, it was really fine. You know, like there's this whole like narration. Batsam, I was fine the entire time. Like... No, you weren't fine. All of your friends could tell you that you weren't fine. Yosef Tzadik is given so much in Mitzrayim by Paro that he actually forgets his father's house. And that, that's, of course, a very strange thing to do, that Yaakov Avinu would forget everything that... Yosef Tzadik would forget everything that he came from. But what's even more strange is that Yosef Tzadik names Menashe after the fact that he forgot. Which, there's two questions on that. Question number one is the obvious one, if he forgot, then how is he naming his son after the fact that he forgot? By definition, if he forgot, then he wouldn't remember to name his son after the fact that he forgot. Also, the name itself is very strange. It's, uh, you know, when you name a child, you get a certain Ruach HaKadosh, you look at all of your children, and you say, like, okay, like, you don't know how you know, but you say, that's, that's Bracha, that's Chana, that's Racheli, that's Shira, those are my children's names. That's Gila, right? That's, uh, that's Adina, that's Yaakov, that's Chaim. Look how happy... Yeah, Ora, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just saying your father's favorites. The, uh, the, um, <laughs> I know you like Ora. Ora's very special to all of us. The, the idea that one would name their child forgetfulness is a, is a strange... That's a strange concept. I name you, I forget. That's not a, it uh, doesn't roll off the tongue. You know, it's, uh, there's some funny names. Here in Eretz Yisrael you find funny names. In America you find funny names too, but here in Eretz Yisrael you find very funny names. I saw a video of Breslover Chassid who had a child this past Pesach, and it was Vayikare Shmova Yisrael. It was, uh, I want to make sure I get this right. Tzafon Barach Halal Nerzah. <laughs> that was his name. Safan Barak Halal Nertza. There's a there's a child in Beit Shemesh that I know that his name is Mirzag. Mirzag stands for Medina Yisrael Reshet Smichat Gulatein. Interesting names. Uh, my Hebrew name is uh, is Mordechai Tzvi Moshe Yaakov Ben Elimelech Meir Israel Levi. My parents are Balei Tshuva. 
And my father want, was so excited to tell his mother that they had a boy and, uh, and that they were going to be naming after his father, after her late husband. My grandmother's not from, but she's very superstitious. And she said, well, there's an Uncle Morris that hasn't been named after yet, so you have to name after him first. And my father loved his Uncle Morris too. So Mordechai Tzvi was my grandfather. Moshe Yaakov was my, uncle, was my father's Uncle Morris. So he said, fine, I'll name Mordechai Moshe. And my grandmother, being very superstitious, said, no, it doesn't count unless you name for both. And my father, not thinking that his child would one day have aliyahs in shul, said, <laughs> said okay, Mordechai Tzvi Moshe Yaakov. <laughs> And, uh, and now every time I get Malia, people are like, oh, what, was, what, was, what was his name? <laughs> to name your child Menashe, it's, it's not a nice name. It doesn't feel like a nice name. We don't know exactly here what Yosef HaTzadik was doing. At least the name Ephraim we could get behind. There was pain, but from that pain was born something great. That's something that we could understand. The idea to name your child forgetfulness is a very strange name. So it's brought down in, in Hasidus that Menashe is deeply connected to the Yantif of Hanukkah, which is why specifically we name we name Menashe comes up in this week's parasha. Somebody just spoke about this. Yeah. Did you just speak about this? No. I just said nothing. It's Hanukkah. It's Hanukkah. Did I say Hanukkah? What I said? I didn't. No. <laughs> what I was what I was doing was indicating that the, the churros can be eaten with pan, not with fork. Ah. <laughs> I'm not familiar with this this vessel called fork. I I, I think all things are eaten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The name Menashe is the same letters as Shmona, as in the eight nights of Hanukkah. And Menashe himself is, con- is, is deeply connected to the notion of eighth, because we know that the Nesim, when they were inaugurating the Mishkan, so they went in order. So Menashe was on the eighth day. On the eighth day of the inauguration of the Mishkan was Menashe's day. So Menashe is deeply connected to the idea of eight. And Menashe is deeply connected to the idea of Olam Hamba, which is the eighth dimension. After the 6,000 years of creation, there's a thousand years of Shabbos. That's a thousand years that Mashiach comes and settles the world into its being. And then, if you learn the Ramchal deeply, the Ramchal speaks about a concept that the world becomes sort of a new creation, some sort of hybrid between spirituality and physicality that the Gemara says about it that no human being could possibly understand because it's the crossroads of physicality and spirituality, like Adam Arishon and Gan Eden, that his soul was shining so brightly and the body was so illuminated so that the soul literally illuminated itself through the body, that one was able to see, like, like one is able to perceive the light through the shade over here. So the body in the same way was able to accommodate the light of the soul and that the light of the soul was natural and understandable to the to, to, to Adam HaRishon, it was natural and understandable in the world, and that will be what will ultimately be in Olam Haba. And so Menashe is deeply connected to this idea of Olam Haba. And the question is why? So I, I want to share with you a, a, a deep secret in Yiddishkeit, something that we know. This Bechina of, of Olam Haba, this Bechina of Hanukkah, this Bechina of Menashe, of forgetfulness, is the capacity to bring back Jews from the farthest corners of the earth, those that are most deeply removed, the capacity to bring those people back is the Bechen of Olam Haba. The question is why? So I'll share with you a, a beautiful mashal that I saw from one of the Bali Chassidus. It goes as follows. The Gemara says, anyone here the child of, of Geirim? If I've given this year before and randomly you have somebody who goes, my parents are Geirim or I'm a Geir. 
the Gemara says that Mashiach will not come until all the souls of all of the converts from Harsinai are returned. And one of the Bali Hasidus compares it to the following mashal. He says, imagine you had a king, and the king had a massive treasure house with many, many precious jewels. And one day marauders came, and they were able to overrun the kingdom. And they broke into the treasure house, and they took all of the treasure. Eventually, the king's army was able to take back the castle. But it was too late. Much of the treasure had been stolen. So the king ordered all of his soldiers to go out, to go into the world, and to, to recover whatever tre- treasures could be recovered. And so they were able to recover a certain amount. But you know how these things go. Once you have a treasure like that, the first thing you do is you pawn it off. And the person who was pawned off to pawns it off again. And things are going farther and farther away. And so the king offers a great reward to anybody who can figure out how to get back those treasures. And only the king's daughter comes up with a viable plan. The king's daughter comes to him and she says, you need to train pigeons. You need to train pigeons to be able to recognize the great jewels that you had. We'll show them pictures of the great jewels that you had. And the pigeons, nobody's going to suspect the pigeon, the pigeon will fly. It will see these jewels. And when it sees those jewels, it will grab the jewels and bring them back to the palace. The kachava, they trained these pigeons, the pigeons went out, and they were able to restore many of the jewels back to the king's treasury. But unfortunately, the most precious jewels had gone so far that by the time the pigeons would fly out, that they were in theory you know, going to be able to get them, the pigeons would become so tired that they would return to the palace. And so the king, while he was happy to have recovered most of his treasure, the king was still somewhat broken because the king said, these best treasures were what made me king. These were the crown jewels. So he went to his daughter and he said, what could we do? So his daughter said, no. It's a very special place for Matthew. So the king went, the king went to his daughter and he said, what could we do? So the daughter said, I have an answer for you, but you're not going to like this answer. He said, the only thing you can do is you can burn down your palace. Because as long as the pigeons know that they can return to the palace, they won't stop coming back. So the only way to get the pigeons to go farther and farther is to burn the palace down. And the king is, is horrified by this idea. To burn down the palace sounds like a, like a tragedy. Like, what do you mean? The whole, the whole point here is to have a palace. So the king's left with no choice because without the crown jewels, he's not king. So he burns down his palace. And one day he promises himself when the pigeons come back with all of those jewels, we'll rebuild the palace. And so too is the explanation of this Gemara. The souls of Gerim are some of the farthest souls. The soul of a Ger, remember that there's different ways of understanding what a Ger is. But according to many, a Ger is not a guy that becomes a Jew. A Ger is called a Ger, Ger Shinnesgeier, not Goy Shinnesgeier, Ger Shinnesgeier, because it's the soul of a Jew that fell into a Gentile family. Because of the sin of Adam Arishon, there were certain souls that fell into very strange places. Like the Arachayim HaKadosh says that the soul of Rav Hanina ben Tradion was in Shechem. And that Dina had to go to Shechem in some way to release the soul of Rav Hanina ben Tradion. It's very deep concepts like this. So a soul could fall, a very precious Jewish soul could fall into a Gentile family, and when that soul proclaims itself to be a Jew and it returns, that's a very powerful expression of the soul's Jewishness. 
it's hard for us to bring back those souls because those souls are sometimes in the farthest corners of the universe. And so what HaKadosh Baruch Hu does is he destroys the Beis HaMikdash and he disperses Jews throughout the entire world. And now, especially today, we can see that there's Mamish Jews everywhere and that the Jewish nation has traveled everywhere in the world slowly but surely collecting the souls of these Geirin. And the reason that this is so important is because until this happens, until we bring back those souls that are farthest, we're not in a state of completion. And so the Yisod of Menashe, the Yisod of Menashe is to be able to take those Jews that have gone so far away and somehow to bring them back. And when those Jews come back, so there's a restoration of the Beis HaMikdash. Now why is that? Why is it that those Jews specifically, those that are so far away, that when they come back, it ushers in the era of Olam Haba? So the Lubavitcher Rebbe explains as follows. The Rebbe says that there's something about these Jews that express something that a Jew who's close cannot express. And what is that? That's a level of commitment and determination. I'll explain what I mean. You know, we see, especially now, in the wake of Simchas Torah, we see Yidin waking up. It's an amazing thing. I, you saw that video. There was one video that went very viral. This guy, and he thanked Hamas, and he thanked the liberal left world for waking up the sleeping giant that is the Jewish soul. How many Jewish souls were absolutely dormant? And since Simchas Torah, the videos of people saying, I'm putting on tefillin, the videos of people saying, I'm wearing tzitzis again, right? all the chayalim that said, no, we need tzitzis, even if they didn't wear tzitzis for their entire lives. When a Jewish soul, at the very end of its destination, at the very last stop, when it says, I refuse to go that very last mile, and I hang in there, and I express my commitment and my determination to still be a Yid, in a, in a certain way, that's the greatest expression of Ahavas Hashem that there could possibly be. Those of us that were born on the top of the mountain, our commitment and determination is not necessarily as profound. We were born within the Jewish community. We were raised by the Jewish community. Millions and millions and millions of dollars have been spent on every single one of our educations. We don't realize that. Because we weren't raised on an island, right? Midmo is not just one year. How many millions of dollars have been poured into Midmo in order for you to get the education that you're getting? So it, it's, it's not hard for us to express our commitment and our determination. Of course it is. I don't mean that it isn't. It, it is. There are times when we're, when we're in a place, when we find ourselves in a funny place, doing something that we promised ourselves we wouldn't do. And of course, there's a level of commitment and determination there. But when we see somebody who's mamish on that very, very, very last level, that last moment of like, ut, ut, and I could be totally gone. That moment right before Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, where if HaKadosh Baruch Hu had kept us there even one more minute, we would have fallen to the 50th level of Tomah, and even Moshe Rabbeinu would not have been able to redeem us. When a yid at that level stands up and says, but I'm not going anywhere. So there's an amazing expression of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's godliness could be found even in the lowest places, even in the darkest places. We see, we see sometimes funny things. You ever see those people that have like tattoos of the Lubavitcher Rebbe? You ever see those? Like, <laughs> you know, and, and every year around this time of year, I don't know how, it, I don't know how they do it. These Chabad kids, they're, they're amazing at sniffing out the Jewish Santas. I, I believe Bamuna Shlema. You know, crazy video. it's a crazy, but it's every year. It's every year. I believe Bamuna Shlema that these chabadsters are just walking up and down, 
to every Santa because they want that one viral video every year. <laughs> but if, if we understood, by the way, the history of who Santa Claus was, Santa Claus comes from the Russian of Saint Nicholas. Nicholas was the, was the head of the Council of Nicaea. The Council of Nicaea were the ones that, that they codified the New Testament. They were the ones that said that the Jews killed Yashka. It was because of the Council of Nicaea that millions of Jews have been tortured and killed throughout history. That's Santa Claus. We don't have an idea of who Santa Claus is. Imagine a Yid is wearing a Santa Claus outfit. That's like a Yid wearing a Hitler outfit. It's much worse than wearing a Hitler outfit. Santa Claus is, is over time, Santa Claus has caused much more Jewish death than Hitler. A Yid is wearing a Santa Claus outfit. And a Jew stops him and says, are you Jewish? And he goes, yeah, you want to put on tefillin? Of course. <laughs> why would I not want to put on tefillin? This, this is why the B'nai Yisrael writes, that the inauguration of the, of the ultimate, of the third base of Mikdash, is going to take place on Cheshvan, which is, of course, the eighth month of the year. Because those Yidin that are mamish leaving, and we somehow manage to pull them back, somehow, in those final moments, they go, no, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm a Yid. Yidin that are willing to die for their Yiddishkeit, even though they were never willing to live for their Yiddishkeit. They express something that's so precious to the Rebbe You know, I, I growing up, I... I I daven in, in a shul called Young Israel Farakwe. Anyone here from the Five Towns? So you know Farakwe. It's like on the border over there, yeah? It's West Lawrence, yeah? So, so I grew up in a shul called Young Israel Farakwe. Young Israel Farakwe on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur because there was a lot of Russians living in the buildings on Beach 9th Street on Seeger Boulevard over there. So the Russians would come to shul on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Other than that, you didn't see them the entire year. I one time made a very bad mistake. Maybe I was eight or nine years old. We were these big Russian kids. They came to our groups. They weren't part of groups the rest of the year. We would only see them once a year. So from a very innocent place, a very young child, and I, said, I asked them, I said, why do you guys come to shul on Hashanah Yom Kippur? Like, why don't you, like, I didn't say Mimanashach, I didn't know what those words meant. But come to shul the entire year, or don't, like, what's this game? So I remember this big Russian kid got up in my face, and he's like, you say you're more Jewish than I am? So I was like, no, I'm, I'm not saying anything. I'm just, a, like, I'm just a regular kid. I have no idea what I'm saying. Like, don't, don't kill me. <laughs> I, was like, I was like facing off with like, Igor Drago, you know, like the... Oh, Ivan, Ivan Drago. Ivan Drago, yeah. Like, but you, I, saw, I saw at a very young age, tell a Jewish kid they're not as Jewish as you are, watch what they do. <laughs> a kid. It was a kid. Maybe this kid was 10 years old. He looked like he was, you know, like 16. But like... <laughs> it's an amazing thing. The capacity of Menasha is the capacity to, to bring back those Yidin that are at the very, very end. There are certain Jews like that. There are certain people that they have the capacity to just bring back Yidin. There was a yeshiva many years ago called Shalom Rav in Sfat. Heard of Shalom Rav? It's a very, very beautiful little shul in Sfat. It's a yeshiva. Back in the day, in the 90s, this yeshiva was called the last stop. It was the last stop before you went completely off the derech. And Rav Weingat was the Rosh Shiva. And I had the privilege of meeting Rav Weingat a couple of times. I saw he was a Menashe Dika Jew. And I mean, he was a, some of you know maybe Rav Avshi Weingat is the, is the son. He now runs the yeshiva. Rav Weingat, he just had this capacity to reach you no matter where you were. Somehow to bring those people back. It's a very special thing. So you'll ask, so then why does Menashe get the second bracha? Why does he get the bracha of the left hand and not the right hand? Because the truth of the matter is that there's an even higher level. You need a Menashe to come first. But there's a level that those Jews can reach, those Jews who are very, very far away, 
is a level that those Jews can reach, that not only are they able to express that commitment and determination to hold on, they even steig from it. They even grow from it. That's Ephraim's name. It wasn't the pshat that, that Yosef HaTzadik forgot his house. HaKadosh Baruch Hu blessed him with so much, and in that state of forgetfulness, he forgot. And in that state of forgetfulness, what did he do? He remembered. He, so he, he forgot in order to remember. So I was distant in order to become close. He forgot in order to remember. So that was step one. He named his child Menashe. Step two, from that place of I, rem- I remembered within the forgetfulness, he has an Ephraim. You could steig tremendously from this. A person who goes very far away, after they figure out how to hold on, those people, are, they become rock stars. They're some, of the best, they're some of the best of the best of the best. You know, I, I remember, I'm sure Rabbi Rosenblum remembers the same, I remember back in the 90s that the craziest, craziest kids were the ones who became the biggest Talmidei Chacham. They were the ones who became... I can't give away any details, but I will share with you this. There was a kid in my high school class that was expelled. And he was expelled for, for bad things. And, and I, remember, I remember that... Uh, you know what? It doesn't matter what I remember. It was very bad, he was very, 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 very bad things. Very, very bad things. Today he's one of the biggest Dayanim in Yerushalayim. <laughs> Today, if I said his name in Yerushalayim, people would stand up. He's my age. He was a great basketball player back in the day. He was a lunatic kid. There was nothing, <laughs> there was nothing he wouldn't do. Once he figured out, I'm a Yid, and he held on within his state of forgetfulness, the next step was all that energy, all that passion that he had, he just channeled it, and he shtied tremendously from it. I remember a story from Rav Moshe Weinberger, actually the, the Rav of Eish Kodesh. He, he said over that he had a Talmud in Ezra Academy. Before of Weinberger, somebody here from Eshkoda? Somebody knows you from Eshkoda? What's your last name? Lauber. Lauber, okay. So that's a, that's a, that's a famous Eshkoda name. <laughs> so, Baruch So before of Weinberger was the Rebbe, so he was just a Rebbe in Ezra Academy. So his wife used to drive one of those very big yeshiva shavans. You know, I'm talking about like not like a not like a minivan, you know, like they have today. I'm talking about like a bus. You know talking about? Like a, and they had those, you know, you ever see those rectangular mirrors, those like large rectangular mirrors on the side? So Weinberger was joking around, then he said, When my wife would drive the car, so sometimes the mirrors would just come off as she was passing by other cars, you know, like would knock the mirror off. So he had a Talmud who was a thief. It was Mamish a thief. And this kid walked into class one day and he said to Weinberger, he said, Rebbe, I replaced the mirror on your car. Don't worry, I put a new mirror on. So Rav Weinberger said right away, his first question was, where'd you get the mirror from? <laughs> so the kid said, he goes, don't worry, I, I got you a mirror. Rabbi, don't, don't worry, I took care of it, I got you a mirror. So about an hour later, the principal walks into class and she looks at the kid, she goes, what'd you do with my mirror? <laughs> so, so the kid, very innocently, he looked at the principal and he said, don't, don't take this the wrong way, you're a very special person, you're the principal. He's Rav Weinberger. So the, like, like, it was like a very obvious thing to him. Like, I had to take your mirror to put Like, it was like a normal... And Weinberger said that that boy today is sitting and learning in Lakewood. And he's the same... He said he's the same Mido. He's the same, the same Mido of being a Ganev, but he's a Ganev for time, and he's sitting in Steiging. There's, there's a level that after a Jew remembers in their state of forgetfulness, that remembrance becomes a, a, a period. It becomes a place of growth. It becomes something that you steig tremendously from. And so, so Yaakov Avinu gives the bracha to Ephraim first, because the right hand, because Yaakov Avinu says to this, to this child, look, you have to understand that what you can do with this is exceptional. 
But we know that we light the menorah on the left-hand side of the door. And that's why Menashe gets the left side. It's not, it's not Chas to say that Menashe is any less than Ephraim. But that Bechina of being able to draw close those Yidin that are on the left side. The right side is the side of Kedusha. The left side is always the side of less Kedusha. So those Yidin that are farther away for Menashe to be able to bring them back is a very special thing. And you, you'll see something very special in the world today. Today we celebrate those Rebbeim that are, we'll call them the Menashe type of Rebbeim. In today's world, those Rebbeim are as celebrated at least as much as the, as the Rebbeim who teach the right side of the door. Because you have, you have very Choshevah Rashi Yeshiva, tremendous Tamidei Chachamim. They could give Mamish the highest level Shirim in the world. And they're amazing, and we all look up to them. But we all know, I'm not going to say any names, but if we say certain names, if I would say certain names at the table right now, those, those Rebbeim that are able to draw Jews in who are Mamish far away, you see there's, there's a tremendous level of respect that people have, very natural, a very natural level of respect that we look at them and we say like, that's a, that's a special type of Rebbe. There's a reason that we celebrate those people. It's because we're in the final moments before Mashiach. In the final moments before Mashiach, in the Hanukkah, in the darkest moments of history, where those Rebbeim are able to reach out to those kids and bring them back, naturally our soul understands those Yidin are doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing right now. And I, I want to tell you something. It, it's not obvious. It's not obvious because some of those Rebbeim I know from when they were kids. They grew up. A lot of those kids grew up in the five towns. I know those Rebbeim. And I want to tell you something. Nobody saw it coming. I'm not saying any names. I'm telling you honestly. Nobody saw it coming. I remember, there's one Rebbe in specific. He's a very famous Rebbe today. I'm sure many of you listen to Shiram online. I remember when he was in Beis Medrash. I'm five years younger than him, six years younger than him. I was learning in Beis Medrash at night in eighth grade because that was like we had to do it to be in the top eighth grade chair. We had to learn in Beis Medrash at night. And this guy was like, the most chosh of a guy in the base measures. He was the guy that learned Gittin with 17 Chazaras. It was unbelievable. If you asked us then, who is this guy going to be in 10 years? I, I would tell you, he's going to be a big Rosh Hashiva. He's holding in Shas. His father is holding in Shas. He's holding in Shas. He's going to be a big Rosh Hashiva. Today, he, he's a big Rosh Hashiva, but in a very different way. He's a big Rosh Hashiva in bringing in those people that are very far away. It's an amazing thing. If he would have become Rosh Hashiva of that old Yeshiva that we were learning in the base measures, none of you would have heard of it. Because he would just be another Rebbe. He'd be another Rebbe in that world of all of those Yidin that are able to give over amazing Shirim. But he went in a direction that nobody saw. And he said, I'm going to reach out to those that are farthest away. And I'm going to make a safe place for them. And I'm going to let them be who they are. And I'm going to show them that who they are is very precious. Even as they are right now. And I'm going to give them permission to be able to talk about the things that are bothering them. And I'm going to let them fall because I know that within that fall, I trust that they have the capacity to find themselves within that forgetfulness. And how many of those kids are now walking around and saying, I'm a Talmud of this Rebbe. And he was the one that showed me that panemius that I didn't know that I had. This is what we expect in the times of Mashiach. And, and, and Baruch Hashem, it's a culture like that in the world today. The world has changed. We're not in the same place that we were 40 years ago. 40 years ago, the Rebbeim were, were elderly, and they were, they were austere. They were people that you looked up to. They were people that, that, you, that you had from a distance. Those were our Rebbeim. We weren't close with our Rebbeim. To be close with the Rebbe meant that you understood his shir, that you asked him a shayla. I remember my Rebbe Shlita, Shabzachar of Shalema, he's 94 years old now. I remember when I was, every, everybody had to talk to Rebbe about dating, but I remember when I spoke to him about dating, maybe the whole conversation was seven minutes. The whole conversation, seven minutes. And we were considered very close. 
How much time? How much time did you get with Rishadah? You got forty-five minutes to sit and tell Rishadah every single thing that you had. No, if, if Rami Rosenblum would ask Rishadah a question, he'd be like, "I don't know." <laughs> like he was like, "That would be the whole conversation." You know, like, like, uh, you don't. We, nobody got that type of time. If you got that type of time, it's because of car ride. The car ride, you could trap the Rebbe. That was the only. No <laughs> you could trap the Rebbe in a car ride. I remember a bunch of guys from Landers, Rebrevda. Brevda used to get driven back and forth. A bunch of guys from Landers would drive him, and they taped, they put tapes in the car, recordings in the car that Brevda shouldn't know that he was being recorded. And he saw one of the, he saw one of the, like the red lights, and in the front seat, he just looked at the driver and he goes, you know, it's usher to record somebody if they don't know they're being recorded. And the guy was just like mortified that he got caught, so he was like just driving, and Brevda goes. Turn it off. <laughs> he came back to Yeshiva. He was like, I got, I got like roasted by her brevda, you know. But that by itself is a scuss. Yeah, it's an embarrassing. Today, if you don't get, if you don't get time with a Rebbe, a Mechanechet, a Rakezet, a Rebetzin, right? It's like, but what did I bother coming here for if I don't have time to be able to share my every worry, my every concern? It's like, my wife tells me that in Dar Chibina, where she was in, in the late 90s, you got to make a 10-minute appointment with Rav Orlewick. It was a 10-minute appointment, and you had to wait two weeks for it. And that's what, that was it. There was nobody there. So you could say, you read the Sadaris. I don't think it's true. I think it's that rightfully, in our state of being distant, we're calling out and we're asking people, could you keep us like tethered? Could you keep us holding on? Because we're all, in a certain sense, within that world of Menashe. We've all been in funny places and funny times, doing funny things that aren't really us. And we have to know that those, those times are really some of the times that we're going to look back on as the most precious. I'll finish with this. I, I believe it was the Mithal Rebbe of Chabad said, in the times of Eilam Haba, we're going to look back on these times right before Mashiach came, and we're going to yearn for them. Aye, these are the darkest times. He said, yeah, but in the darkest times, you get to call out. And in Eilam Haba, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be like, oh, do you remember when we used to call out for each other? It's like, the, it's like uh, if you have uh, an elderly couple just sitting there next to each other. There's so much love that they don't even need to speak. They could just sit on that rocking chair on that porch and like, you know, he's reading and she's, what's that thing called? <laughs> Darning or knitting, I don't know the difference. Here. And she's knitting. And they, have, they, they need no words. They need no words. They're so, the, the love between them is so deep, it's like water. But sometimes you, you think back and you remember that when you were dating and they remember that like, no, you hang up the phone first. You know, like you, you remember that. And it, it, a person doesn't hold on to that naturally. But that yearning that, that people have for each other, there's a very precious stage of that. And the Mithlul Rebbe says that's what we're going to look back on. This stage right now of being in our stage of forgetfulness, but calling out and saying to the Rebbe bring me closer. That's going to be the stage that ultimately brings us to Tehmais uh, Mashiach, and we should be zaycha soon. No more, no more of this uh, this radical anti-Semitism in public. They're not embarrassed. How could they not be embarrassed? These presidents of, of the of the greatest universities, perhaps in the history of the world, aren't embarrassed to get up and say deeply anti-Semitic things. And not only that, but then a certain segment of the world says, and they're right. <laughs> it's a crazy thing. And the people that called them out. We make Saturday Night Live skits about them. This is a Meshuggah world. We need to be done with this. We need to be done with all of this. We need to be brought back to Hashem. And we should bless Hashem to a world of Shalom. Can't, uh, can't take much more of this. We have to demand from the Rabbanu Shalom to bring Mashiach. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, so I mentioned before.
Pixotos is, is available. It's an amazing um, set of sperm. Um, if